Ready? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Okay, I'm going to start. Okay, you start. Okay. Okay. I was going to start. Oh, I, I got this. All right. OHL Hockey is back. This is the Farwell and Pope Podcast. Originating from the 570 News Studio in Kitchener. Here are your hosts, Mike Farwell and Chris Pope. Mike. Chris. Why are you calling me Friday afternoon of a long weekend? Well, because it's the long weekend heading into the preseason showcase at the Odd. Hockey's back, baby. Come on. Mike. Chris. The regular season doesn't start for another 22 days. Let me tell you something. It's a beautiful sunny day. And here I am staring into Moose Winooski's beautiful patio, having an ice-cold Molson Canadian. And you call me, and now i got to take time. My beer's going to be warm. Yeah, so you have to say that, of course, to get in the shameless plugs for your day job. Listen, <laughs> hockey is back. The fans are starving for information. And as far as I'm concerned, if the players and the coaches and the front office can all report, so can a couple of plugs like you and I. I was actually at the auditorium this morning while the North Bay Battalion were having their morning skate ahead of tonight's game at the uh, preseason showcase and ran into another media member there at 10 o'clock in the morning. I said, what are you doing here? Just breathing in the odd air, I guess. Let me ask you about the skate this morning because I'm curious as to whether or not the battalion looked sluggish in any way. Um, I peeked in. I bet you I saw a cumulative um, probably... 45 seconds, so I can't really say. All right. Coach Butler took them all out for ice cream last night. Oh, where'd they go? Scoops. I've never heard of it. Is that bad? I live around here. Oh, I don't know. There's there's one called, I think, Two Scoops out by uh, uh, Fairway and River. Yes, Ice Cream no, Two. It's a good spot. I don't oh, know where this, yeah, I don't know where this Scoops place is, but Coach Butler was tweeting about it last night. You would be able to correct me on the name of an ice cream place. Buddy, let me tell you. sweet tooth. (laughs) Welcome to my summer. You're drinking Molson Canadian. I'm eating double scoops of Rocky Road. I love it. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of two scoops, it seems to be uh, that everybody wants to talk about the scoop of Joseph Garefa leaving the kitchen arrangements. This one caught me off guard. I think it caught the team... A little bit off guard, as I understand it, having spoken to some folks in that front office, including General Manager Mike McKenzie, uh, there was an there was a, a a feeling over the last number of weeks that the announcement was going to come from Joe, but that was certainly not the case around last year's trade deadline when the general manager to- uh, spoke with each of his upcoming overagers to see what their plans were because obviously if they planned to do what Joey has now done they would have made a move and got something back that's the real unfortunate part in this certainly from the Rangers perspective is they lose an 80 point player and they get nothing in return for him yeah I think even at the general meeting someone told me that Jay McKee all but said you know yeah we got Ingham but we probably wouldn't have if we knew this was coming from Joe because you probably either don't trade Nick McHugh at the deadline last year or you are satisfied with your goaltending because Luke Richardson is your third overager. Now you are sitting there with the possibility of having 
Luke Richardson as that overager with a platoon goaltending situation or an overage backup goaltender. And that's the real issue here. Or are you going to sit with two overage spots and still try to move Luke Richardson? And then you're going to have to unload more assets to find that 80-point guy that Joseph Greffel leaves behind. Not only that, a great guy in the room, a leader, a workhorse, a guy that can – the utility knife. Whenever there was an issue on the back end, just throw Joe back there. Whenever there was an issue on the power play, throw Joe up there. A line's not working well, throw Joe in there. He was the utility guy that Jay McKee relied on hugely. And uh, obviously something changed um, this summer or since the trade deadline that uh, changed Joe's mind because you talked about that conversation with Mike McKenzie. Put him and the team in a tough spot. Can I tell you honestly what I think? Please. I think Joe's getting a little bit of bad advice here, whether it's coming from his parents, whether it's coming from his agent. I fully respect that Joe is a talented hockey player, talented enough to make money at this game somewhere. I don't dispute that at all. What I'm curious about and where I think the bad advice comes from is doing it now. Also, again, if you can make the money now, sure, go make your money now. Free market society, baby. Let's all be capitalists. But... What does one more year in the Ontario Hockey League change? Absolutely nothing, except maybe making thirty-five grand a year in the East Coast Hockey League, unless Joe's lucky enough to sign higher than that. I, I don't know. I, I think you stay in the O. He, he says he's done everything he needs to do here, but I think you have a chance with a Kitchener Rangers team that's pretty deep this year to, to do something special. That's something you could still accomplish. So I'm not sure he's getting the best guidance in this one. I, I'm kind of torn because I, I, I thought to myself originally, I'm like, well, good for him. If you want to go pro, go pro. We saw Ricard Hug go pro. If Joe wants to go over to Europe, go ahead. But if he's going to go over to Europe, he's got to, he, he would be an import in some of the better leagues over there and obviously he wants to play in the best league possible he'd be an import so then a team would have to get rid of one of their existing imports or he'd have to prove that he's better than a former which are normally imports former nhlers if he's trying to go american league i i love joe graffa don't get me wrong i think he's one of the most exciting players that i've seen come through here in, in a while i just don't think he's ready for the american hockey league i look at players like cole sherwood last year logan brown they weren't ready for the american hockey league and now Joseph Graff is going to try to do it. I don't think he's ready to take that next step. So it's likely the East Coast. Is it worth going to the East Coast for $30,000, like you said, $1,000 a week in a hotel room, essentially, in Toledo? I don't really know. I get that you want to do it. And trust me, there's a handful of Rangers players going to NHL camps. They want to turn pro, too. That's the, that's the goal of Greg Morales, Jonathan Yances, Justin McPherson, the list goes on and on. They want to turn pro. They want that American Hockey League deal. But I just don't know if the East Coast is really where you want to be if you're Joseph Carafa at this age. I couldn't agree more. And because of that, this age, I'll throw one more quick thing to you. Peter Simicalis. Yes. Will Graffa be in Kitchener this year? You exactly. I don't or think the door... That's right. I don't think the door is closed entirely. Obviously, the Rangers are keeping Gareffa on their list, and uh, you never know. You just never know. So we'll see where that goes. Hey, you mentioned the Rangers going out and acquiring Jacob Ingham in this offseason. Yeah, I love the move. I really do. Um, there's no, you know, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. We heard from Jay McKee numerous times last year that his goaltenders just needed to make a save. 
and they didn't get the goaltending they needed last year, and Mike McKenzie went out and addressed it right away. Um, and it reminds me, I said to someone the other day, before the Graffa news, but I said, this is their Logan Stanley. This is the move that Mike McKenzie makes in the offseason, where he just adds an addition ahead of the season, sending a message to everybody in that dressing room and around this league, look out for us this year, we're going for it. Now this Garefa news puts a whole other wrinkle into into Mike's plans. I don't. I really don't think he makes the move if he knew Garefa wasn't coming back. Um, but Ingham gives him a solid guy in net, one of the best goaltenders in the Eastern Conference last year, and a guy I think that uh, could really be well served making a push through the playoffs here um, as he tries to uh, impress the LA Kings. You played some goalie in your career. Did you ever play fifty-seven games in a season? I opened a lot of doors, Mike. <laughs> so I was, I was actually, funny story, I was, uh, I've been lucky enough to uh, be coaching at a hockey school, helping run a hockey school with uh, former Kitchener Rangers Nick Spalling and Dan Kelly. And I said to Kels yesterday, I go, he was talking about how he was uh, running this drill. And I said, Kels, if you want me to take the goalies and show them how to open a door, there's not a better guy. There's not a better guy to show them how to open a door. I don't know about anything else, but I mean, <laughs> we, it's been a fun time. But, yes, I never played that many games. I surely dressed that many, I'm sure, but it was mostly just watching. That's a lot of games for Jacob Ingham. It is. 57 games out of 68. That is not a misspeak. So how does Jacob Ingham handle a workload like that, and how did it come to pass that he ended up in Kitchener? Here's our conversation with the Rangers' new goaltender. The first thing I wanted to ask is the first time I messaged you to set up this interview, I, without even checking ahead of time, said, hey, Jake, do you go by Jake or Jacob? Yeah, I go by Jake, Jacob, Iggy, Anger. I pretty much go by anything. Uh, I don't really have any preference. I just know uh, normally my parents call me Jacob when they're not happy with me. <laughs> Sounds familiar. I get Michael, you get Jacob. That's yeah. the way parents are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for sure. You were a career Mississauga steelhead yeah. until this off season. How did you find out about the trade? Uh, it was just after the draft. Um, a couple of my buddies on the team got drafted, Kim Washcrook and Cole Schwint and Tom Harley and, and all those guys. And uh, my agents were at the draft, and it was, uh, I was driving back from... We were going to visit my sister at Western, and uh, we were pretty much just watching the draft on her phone. And my agent called me, and uh, I was wondering uh, kind of what it was about just because the draft was going on and stuff like that. And then... Um, he just said uh, there's a little bit of rumor going around about trade talk and stuff like that and, and going into my 19-year-old year. And there's a couple teams really interested in me and, and uh, also in the previous year. So, uh, you know, he kind of gave me uh, a short list of a couple teams that I could pick and choose from almost to go to. And uh, after that, I called him back the next day. We kind of made a decision kind of went through the rosters and, and kind of saw Kitchener be really deep this year and we should have a really good opportunity to make a really good run for it this year. So I was happy to be a part of it. So was it really the way this team shapes up and might be able to do something special in the Western Conference that really put you over the top with the decision? Yeah, for sure, especially going into my 19-year-old year. And we had, we had a young core in Mississauga last year. We had a lot of, a lot of uh, 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, and I was an 18-year-old and one of the oldest guys on the team. So uh, just to kind of see uh, their progression path, the Kitchener's progression path, and me being a 19-year-old year, I think, uh, I think that kind of made it easy. You know, also a fresh start's nice and kind of a different look uh, around the league and getting into a different conference like the West. 
You talk about, I want to go back to that draft, watching it with some of your buddies, seeing your buddies get drafted. Washer's a good Kitchener boy, so yeah, there's, a, there's a feather. And Cole Schwinn, that's right. Yeah. Uh, did, you, did you chirp uh, Thomas Harley because they announced his name Harley's the Thomas. wrong way? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I know he was pretty happy. Uh, he's a uh, pretty straight-faced guy and stuff. So uh, to see a nice smile on his face really uh, made me happy for him. And, you know, uh, those guys deserve the world. You played in 57 games last year, even just saying the number out loud. That's a, an astonishing number. What's that workload like? Uh, it's tough. You know, you, you play 57 games, and then you got practices on top of that, and then we would do goalie work, myself and uh, my goalie partner and our goalie coach, every, every practice. So, you know, it's pretty much clockwork. Go home, sleep, and then when you come to the rink, you got to punch in, and you got to put your work boots on because... You know, if you get lazy and stuff like that, you know, when you're playing that many games, that's that's how you get hurt, I think. Uh, if you're getting lazy and you're not doing your proper routine, you're not stretching, and you're just kind of going out there and going through the motions, I think uh, I think that puts you in a pretty vulnerable situation. So I think it kind of taught me that, um, you know, I stayed real healthy throughout the, throughout the season other than the flu I had for a weekend. But uh, it really taught me how to be a pro. And, uh, you know, you're going to have bad nights. I know I've had bad nights, and I just get thrown right back in there. It's the best thing for you. So to get the opportunity to work through everything like that last year and, and just to see that amount of reps. And, you know, I think I saw every shot in the league four times in the same spot, you know. So uh, it, was, it was really good, and I'm really thankful for that. Earlier today, even before we've had the chance to talk, I know you were spending some time with Kane Teasy, the goalie coach yep. here in Kitchener, which of course would be happening throughout this training camp. How different is that for you coming in and kind of getting used to a new philosophy, a new guy, and, and having those conversations? Yeah, it's a lot different because I had Ryan Daniels for two years in Mississauga, then I had Chris Beckford Sue, and then I have Bell Ranford and uh, Matt Miller and Dust Emu when I was in LA. So, you know, that's a lot of different goalie coaches, and then to have Kane, uh, they all kind of, I mean, it's all pretty similar pretty similar message in that and you know we had a really good session today Kane and I and uh, we worked on a lot of fundamentals and and just stuff that helped sharpen me up and kind of simplify my game which I want to do and uh, just get me ready for the season get me ready to go to LA. You talk about that uh, LA Kings organization which drafted you what's it like for you watching friends get drafted now when you're already one of those guys that's been drafted into the show? Yeah, you know, it's a bit of a relief when you get drafted and, you know, obviously didn't have the greatest draft year of my life, but, uh, you know, it taught me a lot on and off the ice. I think it's probably the best thing that happened to me so far in my life, but, uh, you know, just to have that kind of relief and get that out of your mind that, you know, it's nothing wrong with being a free agent, but to know an organization wanted you and they step up and took you, it's, uh, it's a nice sigh of relief and, and, you know, it kind of just helps justify your confidence in your head and stuff like that. And, and then to see your, your bodies go through the draft year, like last year, Washer, Cole, and uh, Thomas, it was, uh, it was fun, you know, just getting to answer a couple questions because I know the year before that I was in their situation. The year before that, my buddies on the team, like Nick Hag and Owen Tippett, and, and, like, those guys were in the same situation. So, you know, it's cool to be an older guy now, and it's definitely flown by. There's a lot of talk in this league, Jake, about the Mississauga Steelheads and and the fan base, or perhaps the lack thereof. And I, I'm sure you don't want to speak ill of the team you just came from. But what what was it like being a player there? Is it any kind of a distraction? Do you hear any of that stuff, or are you just focus on playing the game? Yeah, no, honestly, uh, I, you know, they have great fans. Uh, you know, the the ones that come and, and and in that sense. But there's a real there's a real strong core group of super fans and that that come and support us and. And there's a couple that like to travel with the team. So, uh, you know, there's not a lot of them, but they cheer really loud for us. And 
and that was really important just to kind of know that they had her back and that but uh otherwise with the rink you know it, really really nice facility and that and great people inside the rink and you know still still probably to the day one of my favorite rinks if not my favorite rink so far to play in just real nice rink simple bowl real good lighting and you know there's not too much more you could ask for in that sense but uh with the fans i wouldn't say there was much uh, distraction i mean it could be a home game or a away game <laughs> it depends <laughs> on if we we're playing hamilton or barrier if we we're playing the Sioux. so it uh it depended a little bit that way kind of joking around but you know it, it wasn't uh it wasn't a distraction at all we're sitting here having this conversation in a dressing room with the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium, which is one of the, uh, the classic buildings on the circuit and one that gets uh, between 6,500 and 7,000 for a typical Friday night home game. Uh, are, are you ready for, for that kind of exposure and that kind of scrutiny? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, obviously, I knew that when I was coming and going to take that trade, so I think that's something I want. You know, hopefully play, play in front of 7,000 people this year and then hopefully 2,500 year after, or 20,000 next year. So, you know, it's uh, we've played in the odd. I've played in Budweiser. I've played in Barry. played all over the place. So, you know, it's not, it's not going to be that too much different. But, I mean, uh, uh, getting to play my first ever exhibition game in the OHL ended up being in the odds. So it's pretty cool how it's kind of come full circle now. And four years later, it's uh, kind of getting shivers thinking about that, how fast it's going by. But, you know, I'm super excited. Something else I wanted to talk to you about, Jake, that comes away from the game itself, at least away from the rink, but connected, I guess, to the game, is Hockey Gives Blood. Yeah. What's that all about? It's, uh, it's, it, sorry, it's an organization created uh, with the support of trying to get people to donate blood and work with Canadian Blood Services. Uh, Stu Middleton was the founder of it, and we've really hopped on board with it, just uh, with my grandparents' car accident and that, and, and how much blood that they, uh, my granny needed to uh, survive and that. So, you know, we're just kind of trying to do our part to raise awareness because one of the biggest things is you don't know how much of an impact it has in someone's life and you don't know how much of an impact you can make by just giving one one donation. So if we can get everyone in the world kind of doing, not everyone in the world, but I mean everyone in Canada and that to donate blood, you know, it's, uh, it's always that demand and to kind of fill that void, I think it'd be pretty special and just to help the next person out. A lot of people would go through something like you went through with your grandparents being involved in that accident and, of course, be happy that they've recovered from it and are on the other side of it and then just be content with that. What is it that made you want to get involved with something and, and try to give back? Yeah, we kind of came together as a family, and uh, after they both pulled through, it was, uh, was kind of just a, it was a real relief. And, and in our sense, it was just how, how could we give back and how can we ne- help the next people, you know? And, and then getting involved with them, uh, you know, have, being, living in Barrie and that, having great support around there, we thought uh, starting Barrie and kind of trying to see if we can get the people involved. I mean, uh, um, there was two incidents in uh, Barrie Minor this year where um, two kids had cancer, two young kids and that. And so, you know, it, kinda, it was kind of touching to see it, like, kind of firsthand and uh, with them having cancer. And then, you know, what we're doing is blood donations right so it helps in a way right with all the blood transfusions that those kids have to have and you know it's uh, it's a terrible thing but if we can do our part and kind of help help them live a better life or help everyone you know get everyone on board so i think that's that's what we're trying to accomplish speaking of that hometown of barry uh, they've had some pretty good teams up there in your lifetime did you yeah. grow up a colts fan yeah i grew up a big colts fan when i was younger I used to have season tickets and that and then uh, i used to go to blythe so i knew a couple of the guys when they were uh, when they're in the OHL, but uh, I, was, I was only in grade seven, so it's pretty pretty cool 
to play against him. I think I got I got to play against CJ Garcia. It was the only one guy that I got to play against. Um, that came full circle from when I was in grade seven until I got to play in the O as a 16 year old, and he played as an overage. So, you know, it was uh, it was kind of crazy. Um, just kind of seeing him on the ice and that, and uh, grew up really looking up to those guys like Mackenzie Blackwood and Matthias Niederberger, and, and you know they're really good guys. And our goalie coach and Bear, my goalie coach and Barry used to be the goalie coach for uh, the OHL Colts and that. So uh, we used to do our goalie development work, and then those guys used to shoot for us. So I used to have like Kevin LeBanc, Mangiapane, Rasmus Anderson, uh, Justin Scott, Ben Howardchuk. So it was a pretty stacked lineup for. Uh, a little development after practice for those guys. So, you know, I'm real grateful for it. A lot of kids that grow up with an eye on playing hockey someday would think of a Sidney Crosby or a Connor McDavid, you know, the, the stars that score all the goals. What makes a kid decide he wants to stand in front of those shots? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think Mark andre Fleury kind of got me into it. You know, I used to, I used to be a super big Sidney Crosby fan and still am. And, and uh, when when he was with Pittsburgh, I kind of saw Flurry, and you know he had the bright pads. He was pretty flashy, funny guy, like good personality. So, you know, I kind of saw myself similar to him in a sense. And you know, I always wanted to play goalie from a young age. Just when we were playing house league, and asking my parents if I could get the double rotation when uh, they need an extra goalie or something like that. So, you know, to get that spotlight on you, that pressure on you, I like that stuff. And you know, I think it kind of suits my personality. I hear that you're quite the golf, an avid golfer as well. Did you get any, any many rounds in this summer? Yeah, I got a lot of rounds in. I just got some new clubs this summer. And, uh, you know, my, my course that I remember at is pretty close to my gym. So uh, I, used to, I used to work out early, go to the course, grab some food, hit some balls, maybe go play around and that. And then uh, maybe later in the day, skate or something like that. Just, uh, you know, it's kind of tough going to L.A. pretty recently and that. So I missed some good golf. But uh, <laughs> there's never a complaint when I'm down there. Got to hit some balls when I was down there, so I was pretty happy. I can uh, barely crack 100. What do you shoot? Uh, I shoot around 82, so not too bad. Just, I kind of started taking it serious this year and that, so I dropped it down by 15 on my handicap just in the one year. So, I mean, I hit the ball a mile, so um, I, think I, can, I think I can crack uh, probably around 75 next year, hopefully. You mentioned earlier that uh, the four years you've come through this league, it's all gone so fast. Uh, what would you say you, you've learned? What might be different about Jacob Ingham today than it, uh, Jacob Ingham as a rookie? Yeah, I think um, I know it's just uh, there's a lot of mental. I mean, if you look at if you look at my pictures, I've grown a ton <laughs> since I've been in the league. I think I got drafted at six one. I'm six five now, so I mean, I think I've grown an inch every single every, every single year I've been in the league. So. I don't know if that's done yet. I think so, but um, you know, I, just my frame, my stance. You know, I look at old pictures and I laugh. And I'm six five, and my head's below the crossbar and stuff like that. So I, I think it's kind of funny in a sense like that. And then uh, off the ice, I mean, you grow, you mature. And one of the things for me is uh, just the mental, the mental side of things, and just kind of. As I said, that draft year is probably one of the best things for me. You know, I used to get real frustrated and that, and. I mean, uh, I, I can't take matters into my own hands in, in a sense, but, um, you know, just letting, letting the shot go, letting the goal go against, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's hockey, right? So I think uh, I kind of sat back and realized, you know, it's a draft year, thankful that I still got drafted and, uh, you know, just come back, had a really good year last year, I thought. So, you know, it's, um, it's a lot of mental, the game, but, you know, it's just... Uh, 
It's football fun too. What's the mindset coming into this season with a new hockey club? I think be a leader. I was a leader on the team last year in Mississauga, and, and you know we have a great group of guys, uh, Morales, Vooks, Damiani, McPherson and those guys, so Yancis too. So, you know, we got, we got a real old core, so it's nice to be around guys your age and, and older. But, um, you know, be a leader. I think lead by example, uh, be a pro, show the young guys the ropes and that. And, you know, we got some really, really, really skilled young guys, and it's really nice to see those guys have such a, such a good head on their shoulders. And I've only met them for the last four days, and they've all made me feel so welcome. So I'm really excited for the season, and it's just, uh, I think, if, what I can bring to the team in a sense, would just be bring the work boots and when you come to the rink, just clock in, clock out, get your job done. So, Popper, something else that happened in the recent past as we get ready for the new season, which you and I are recording, that must mean a season is here. The Ontario Hockey League has implemented some new rules. I can't stand them, quite frankly. I think it's dumb. I think our game's about to get slower. But, hey, at least we'll be able to get our commercial breaks in. By the way, (laughs) you want to sponsor this podcast... Tweet us at Farwell underscore OHL or at underscore Chris Pope. And we even offer under the table deal. <laughs> uh, no, we don't. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Wink. Um, so, yeah, I, whatever. This league seems to be concentrated on things that don't need fixing, to be honest. How about sending a tweet for your suspension? Let's talk about that. And then we'll talk about cameras over the blue line. And then we'll talk about coaches throwing red flags for goaltender interference. Whatever. Send a tweet about your suspensions, and then we'll talk. That's all I got to say. I couldn't agree more because when – and I know we go on and on about the the lack of information that's provided around suspensions and discipline, but that's serving the fans of your game. And if that's not the most important thing on your radar, then you are misguided in your priorities. So They, you, they already have video review. They can't get it right. I know, now exactly. Add more cameras, you're going to get that wrong. <laughs> so you only have more cameras to misinterpret. I exactly. couldn't agree more. And the tablet at the penalty box that referees are going to be able to consult, oh my goodness gracious. I don't mind that, actually, if it, because it's only for a major or a match penalty. Remember last year, I can't remember the situation, but it was a, uh, a game or a five-minute uh, major when nothing, or it was in the NHL in the playoffs, so the five-minute major where they scored four power play goals, and the guy just tripped over himself. I don't mind that you address it if it's a major because it's a five-minute power play for the other team or if it's a match penalty. Make sure you get those call right. I'm okay with the odd tripping call missed or a slash that's called that it wasn't a slash. I get it, Popper. I get it that we have the technology that allows us to get these things right, so why not use it? But the problem is, in every sport, it's my belief that the returns have proven to this point already that even with the video, we ain't getting it right, and we're absolutely slowing things down. We don't need to do that. The game is played by humans. Let the humans play it. Let the humans officiate it, and let's everybody have a good time. I'm with you. I like it. How do you think Kitchener Rangers head coach Jay McKee spends his summers? He's coming into his fourth season as a head coach now with the Rangers. I know exactly how he spends his summers. Hanging out around a barbecue grill doing magic tricks with Andrew Peters on the Buffalo uh, Buffalo Sabres YouTube channel. How awesome was that video? <laughs> if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's outstanding. <laughs> and uh, I hope she's got a haircut because that hair was flowing in the wind. 
I didn't even notice that part. Who are oh. we to talk about people's hair anyway? Well, I know that's the issue. I was I was jealous. It was a great flow. <laughs> you can see that from uh, Popers' Twitter account at underscore Chris Pope. As we get set for the season, we found out exactly what Jay McKee does with his off seasons and how he is looking at this Rangers team this year, including the absence of one Mr. Joseph Gareffa. So when you come into another camp as the head coach here, Jay, what is it you're looking for out of these players that are competing for roster spots? Well, you want to see high energy. Um, obviously, execution is very important. You want to see what guys uh, you know, have that, that extra gear and the work ethic. Uh, you look for the IQ who can make plays in tight areas, um, obviously with the <clears throat> the newer guys, you, you really want to get a look on them. You want to see which which older guys are coming back and giving the effort that you want to see. Um, which guys have the leadership qualities in in uh, you know making sure young guys are sitting around them at dinners and and including um, you know the new draft picks in their conversations and, and things like that. So there's a lot of different things that we look for on the ice uh, and off the ice, and um, you know we're pretty happy and pleased with what we've seen so far. You talk about some of the older guys and what you're looking for in terms of work ethic and how ready they are for the upcoming season because you're going to have an older team. Uh, what have you seen from those guys so far? Well, I think we're going to have a good mix of, of some older players and, and younger. Um, you know, We've got quite a few guys in their draft year this year when, with adding uh, Declan McDonald to the mix. Um, and I think uh, you know, with our older guys, we want them to come in and, and lead the way and with guys like Vukovic, uh, Morales, Yancis, Damiani, um, McPherson, these are all guys that are going to NHL camp soon. And you know, our message to them, and what's important is that that they don't just come in here and, and think, oh, it's another training camp. It's our third or fourth or fifth training camp, and I'm just going to go through the motions here. We want them to to set an example for the young guys and the way they work on the ice, and most importantly for them is is to fine tune their game for the camps that they have coming up uh we, you know we, i spoke to a couple guys about you know having the right habits on the ice we saw in the first inner squad game the first couple periods small things like swinging away from the play which is is kind of the lazy way or the the easier way out than actually putting the brakes on and turning towards the play um you can get away with that in a in an inner squad camp and in your third or fourth ohl camp but when when you're Greg Morales or, or Vukovic and you're going to your first NHL camp, uh, you want to get those habits uh, you know, nailed down right now. Treat these uh, inter-squad games and preseason games like you would uh, a pro camp uh, inter-squad game or, or an exhibition game at the NHL level because those habits you, you can't turn off for uh, a week or two and then all of a sudden turn them on and be, be perfect with them. You remember your first, you, of course you remember your first pro camp. You went in as a first-rounder and what was it like? Well, I, I, I remember my first uh, inter-squad game vividly because I, the, my first play, uh, puck went into the corner, and, and I went in hard to the corner. It was Pat LaFontaine that I was chasing down, and, and I clipped the back of his legs, and he went into the boards hard. And what flashed before my eyes was the fact that Matt Barnaby, uh, Brad May, Rob Ray were all guys that were in that training camp. And I was just wondering who was coming behind me. Uh, fortunately, I think everyone knew that it was an accident. And I kind of reached down to make sure Pat was okay. But I, I had a moment of, uh, 
uh, you know, a little bit of panic there, just wondering what guy was coming behind me because that was a different generation. And you take out a star player like that, uh, you could be paying the price for it pretty quick. <laughs> One thing is paying price. The other thing is maybe taking the franchise player out of the lineup. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, uh, I, you know, it, it was an accident. I just clipped the back of his legs, but he went in funny. He was okay. So it was, uh, you know, no harm, no foul. But I certainly panicked there for a brief second. We talk about some of these players that uh, are going to be needing these habits as they go to these pro camps and, and the veterans that you're going to have in your lineup this year. One of the players we don't mention now because he has decided to take a shot at those pros earlier than perhaps some expected is Joe Gareffa. The versatility aside, you've got an 80-point guy now that is not available at least to start this season. Uh, how do you look at or do you even pay attention to how you go about replacing those points? Well, you know, first off, we, we love everything about Joe. He's a quality uh, person off the ice, and, and he's been a great player for this team for a number of years. He's uh, been a player that's been around on this team as long as I have. I've had him since my first year here. And, um, you know, so we, we want these players to, to chase their dreams and, and advance their careers uh, when they feel it's the right time. Um, you know, we're, I know Mike said at the, uh, the AGM the other night that we're, we're not shutting the doors on Joe coming back. We want him to go and make a, uh, um, he's going to go to LA's camp. And, and if he can make the farm team there, we would be really proud of him, excited for him. Um, if he doesn't end up with that team, uh, I don't know what his next step is. And um, does he go play pro overseas or East Coast, or does he come back here? Um, we're not closing the door on him. We, we, we love Joe, and uh, we just want him to, to do what he feels is best for himself. So we're going to support his decision. He's certainly a guy that is going to be very missed. Um, the versatility, uh, playing on the back end while we were four-on-four, four, uh, being able to play forward and defense at times, and and make that switch uh, with a smile on his face and, and with uh, the same effort every night and the same personality off the ice, uh, you, you just can't match that. So um, we're, we're, we're not sitting here talking about it. We move forward. We wish Joe the best if he continues uh, to go elsewhere. Um, but we have a team here and, and uh, 23 guys that we're focused on and, and an organization that needs to move forward. Coming into your fourth year as head coach here, Jay, but you've been around the league even longer than that as an assistant prior to becoming the head coach here. And all those years in the NHL, too, you've, you're becoming a grizzled vet at all of this. What do you do? What is your offseason like? Because you got the 68-game grind lying ahead now, but how do you prepare? What time do you take for yourself after a season and then start getting ready for this one? Well, the offseason's for family. Uh, you know, we're... We, the staff here, management, everyone commits, uh, you know, a lot of time throughout the day. It's not show up for practice and leave right after practice. There's a good 60 hours probably committed a week. So, um, you know, everyone's uh, laser focused throughout the year. And, and uh, the tough part is sacrifices are, are made for family in, in this sport and in, in a lot of uh, sports at this level or higher. Um, so I, I spend as much time as I can with my kids uh, and wife in the off season and, um, you know, I, we do squeeze in uh, some video here and there. I've, I've got the uh, the NHL playoffs I like to watch and, and you know, have uh, some of the finals games on my computer that I'll break down to show our players uh, clips uh, from and, and how, you know, things that we want to emulate and stuff like that. So, um, you know, the off season uh, it always goes by fast, but uh, when you're in the sport and you love the sport, sometimes that's a good thing. Hey, Mike. Hey, Chris. Thanks for doing those interviews, man. <laughs> Listen, you were at the rink this morning. I happened to show up there Wednesday after my show on 570 News. The Mike Farwell show, 9 till noon weekdays on 570 News. And uh, there were people there, and I thought, well, I've got the I've got the ability. And I just talked to a few people and thought, we've got ourselves a podcast. 
I don't blame you. And I was at the odds for my day job. I'm currently at my day job right now. And my boss just waved from the patio saying you ordered another round. So I got to let you go. Why don't you go have that round? I'll put all of this together so the loyal listeners and followers of the Farwell and Pope podcast can get their fix. And uh, are you ready for this, Poper? Because we are in for a season. Mike, the sun's shining. Don't call me again before the 20th. You got it, buddy. We'll talk to you. (laughs) See you, buddy. This has been the Farwell and Pope podcast, posted weekly. If you have questions, topics, or a story you would like to be covered, simply email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.